We're going to be continuing looking at gratefulness here this, this week as one of our seven qualities of maturity. We talked about all the things that can come out of being ungrateful. And if you're up on Facebook and saw the note, we gave you a little summary that an ungrateful attitude is the soil that so much evil is cultivated in. We're going to take a look at a man here today who had a lot to be grateful for, but chose to be ungrateful and to focus on those things that he didn't have instead of what came to him. There is much evil that has its roots in the one attribute of being ungrateful. We're going to take a look at some of those here today, but there will be more coming. And with some of the clues that you're going to get here from the Word of God, just in this one story, you're going to get some clues that you will be able to pinpoint ungrateful people in your midst. Now, that doesn't mean that you, you uh, put them off and you don't have any contact with them at all. Jesus had contact all the time with ungrateful people. And he was trying to work them around to, to being grateful. Paul had the same thing. Others ran into that. How many times did God deal with an ungrateful Israel? So just because there are ungrateful people doesn't mean that you just cut them off to protect yourself. No, that's not what we're here to do. We're here to help them. But there are some things that if you understand if they're an ungrateful person, these things can and probably will come out of them. Then you know to at least be careful and to be, be watchful. And that's what we're going to learn from the Word here today. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, perilous times... Uh, but know this, in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. It continues on in this list, but that word there, unthankful, is a word that can mean grateful or unthankful, just like we have somewhat in the, in the English. These are the last days. These are the things that are going to come out. There is much evil that we see in our world that comes from this part of being ungrateful. And we have done many things to foster that type of an attitude. Many people get a lot of things handed to them. They don't have to go to work. They just have checks that are mailed to them. They have houses that are paid for for them. And they're not even grateful for them. They complain about the things that they have. This fosters a lot of evil. This is why we're seeing this in the people that are around us. But in the seven qualities of maturity, we looked at steadfast, we looked at patient, we looked at calm, we looked at peace, we looked at joyfulness. We're on gratefulness right now. Last week, we were looking at the dinner invitation and the parable. How many of y'all heard that song in your head one more time during the week? We saw that in the parable of the invitation to the wedding feast, that though they counted themselves honored to have the invitation at some point, we saw that other things became elevated over it. And so he went out and he found some people who had nothing in their life to elevate over it, and he invited them. Make sure you don't elevate other things over the things of God. We're going to take a look at the book of Esther. It's been a while since we've done this. We've uh, spent a whole series on it on one of our Wednesday nights. I don't know how many years ago that was. I didn't look that up, but it was a, it was a long time that we had spent on that. And we're going to cover a whole lot. And so there's actually one chapter I may just skip, but I put it in there so that you can see it and you can go read it on your, on your own. We're only looking at this for one person. I want you to study 
the person of Naaman. Or, I'm sorry, Haman. I want you to see some of the things that are going on with him. He's an evil guy, but I want you to, to take note of how he became as evil as he did. In verse 1, after these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman. Now, after these things, there's a lot of things that happened. Uh, Queen Vashti, of course, uh, there's there's a lot into why she did the things, and I don't think she was so bad. Uh, I think the people around her were bad, not necessarily her, and she just did what she probably should have done but got in trouble for it and um, was banished from the, probably banished from the kingdom. And so a new queen was sought after, and so they got all the young women from the, the, the kingdom, and they were going to uh, be before the king. He was going to choose a queen from all that, and of course we know that uh, Mordecai, and there is a better way to pronounce that in the Hebrew, and I don't talk like that, so <laughs> I heard it, I don't know, 20 times, I said, there's no way I'm going to get that down. <laughs> but you can look that up if you want to. If you want to see that, I like the uh, English equivalent here, Mordecai. We'll just, uh, we'll go with that. But of course, he was the uncle, and he did things with her. The conventional thought of Esther is that God had put her in this place so that she would be in the right spot to take care of this, and I challenged that. When we went through this as a series, we, I challenged that, I still challenge that thinking. There is no way that my God, who's, that I serve in heaven, would take one of his children, and have her to be married to a heathen, idol-worshipping king to be part of a harem so that he can accomplish his plan. Just because God did it in a particular way doesn't mean that God wanted to or that that was the only way God could. God has plenty of ways to accomplish things, and if you don't want to be part of it, that's fine. Step aside. We'll get somebody else. He is, he is, his plan does not rest on you. His plan did not rest on Esther. His plan to save his people could come in all kinds of ways. This is just one of the ways that he did it. So Mordecai, he, he uh, kind of pushed for Esther to be in his harem. Don't think he should have. But anyway, when he did, he didn't want Esther to, to tell that he was her uncle or that he was related to them. He wanted to keep her Jewish heritage a secret. So King Ahasuerus promoted Haman. This was after this. The chapter before, chapter 2, Mordecai, he hung out by the king's gate all the time. And while he was hanging out by the king's gate, two of the eunuchs that were doorkeepers, they happened to uh, talk about a plot to kill the king. They wanted to take the king out. And so Mordecai heard this, so he made the report of it, and the plot was uncovered. These guys were taken care of, and they, weren't, uh, they would not cause that problem anymore. And so after they were removed, in whatever positions they had, it said doorkeeper, but it seemed like it disrupted the kingdom. And take a look at this. After these things, King Zahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agite, the Ag- Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes who were with him. It doesn't come out and say this, but it would seem that somehow this plot opened up holes in the kingdom. He overheard the doorkeeper eunuchs, but there could have been other people involved, and one of the people who was involved could have been the king's second-in-command. 
these were removed. That created an opening. So after these things, Haman is put in that place. It would seem that after these things involved the predecessor being removed. So when you think about the overall story here, it is very possible that Haman has his promotion simply because Mordecai heard the plan. Haman doesn't know that. But he advanced him. He said his seat above all the princes who were with him. Basically, he's second in charge. He's the right-hand man. And all the king's servants who were with, within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Haman, for so, he, for so the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were within the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? Now it happened when they spoke to him daily, and he would not listen to them that they told it to Haman to see whether Mordecai's words would stand. For Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay him homage, Haman was filled with wrath. He was very angry. This is going on. Mordecai is not bowing, and Haman doesn't notice. He doesn't notice until people in the crowd, some of his people, notice Mordecai is not bowing. They go up and they confront Mordecai. Why aren't you bowing? And apparently he says, because I'm a Jew. And we don't bow to kings. And so they didn't know if this was so. Apparently they didn't have any other Jews who were saying this. So they went to, uh, to Haman to see, if this, is this true that if somebody's of Jewish heritage, they don't have to bow? Well, this made him mad, but he uh, holds back on that anger to accomplish a greater purpose. Now, back over here in verse 1, it says that he promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite. Where do Agagites come from? Well, they come from a particular group of people that were supposed to be wiped out by Israel. In fact, Saul had a hand in doing this. They were supposed to wipe them out, and he spared them. And so now they still hung around, and they're here. He is a, a descendant. Now, I don't know if they have a nation, if been, they were displaced enough that they don't have a nation, but they still have some people that are around, and they still have an identity. And he's of them. So he probably knows the ones who took us out did us a great deal of damage was Saul, who was a Jewish king. And so his people probably harbor bitterness against Saul. And when he hears that he's of the Jewish descent, let's take care of the whole race. They were supposed to wipe us out. Now let's wipe them out. And so he concocts this, this scheme to do this. You will notice this about, I wrote in a couple of traits here, and at the end we're going to summarize them if you don't, don't get them all, because I want you to see what these are about. But Haman gets angry at Mordecai. People that are ungrateful are easily angered in selfish matters. Now you think about some people that you know in your life that are ungrateful. How easy is it for them to get angry at something that is very selfish? I didn't get what I want. Take a, look at, take a look at it this way. If you have an ungrateful person, and you know you have an ungrateful person in the family, in a group, and you go out to a restaurant, and you sit down at the restaurant, and the person who is ungrateful, the most ungrateful in the group, doesn't get what they want on their platter. It's not cooked the right way. Something that happens. What happens? 
They get visibly angry. Now, if you have a grateful person, and they sit down and they get a meal, and something comes that's not quite the right thing, what happens? I mean, they may make, make no, hey, I didn't order this one. Oh, I'm sorry, we didn't mean to. That's fine. You can make up another one. We can wait. It's a, <laughs> we're here to talk and have some fellowship anyway. So uh, that's, that's fine. They can make up another one. Or can they cook it a little bit more? But you approach it completely different. You just don't get there and, and get angry. This is not just for unsaved people. I, we told you this is years ago. I mean, a lot of years ago. We took, we had a guest minister come on in. Uh, it wasn't somebody we knew. It's somebody else uh, uh, had, them, had them come on out. Uh, they knew them. They were in the area. We said, okay, we'll, we'll get a chance to meet them. We took them out to eat afterwards. And they were so ungracious to the waitstaff. I mean, picking on everything, all sorts of stuff. And we uh, tried to defend things as much as we could after it was all done. I just w- we went up to the, to the waitress afterwards. I apologized. We, we really don't know these people all that well. I didn't realize they would treat you so badly, but we left you a nice tip. But I'm sorry that they, they treated you that way. And they spoke to you in, in that way. And we never had them back again. I had opportunity. I said no. I don't, I don't bring people in that are, that are like that because they're an ungrateful person. Ungrateful people have other things that are going on in their life. And that shouldn't be. This is why it's so important to get this out. Haman is unsaved, but he's also ungrateful. I can tell you that this, this way, you can see it just in the verses that we looked at. Haman has been promoted from whatever place he was, he has been promoted to the second highest office in the land. He has an individual audience with the king. Not just the king of a nation, the king of an empire. He's got people all over the kingdom who answer to him. He has money at his disposal. He has uh, people to wait on him and to help him. All this is going on. And what's he care about? That one person amongst all these people won't bow down and pay me homage. Are you kidding me? You've got an unlimited bank account. You've got a house that is huge. You work in a palace. The king is there at, you see the king every single day. The queen doesn't even see the king every day. You see the king every single day. All these things are going good for you. You just got promoted. And what are you focused on? What I don't have. People that are ungrateful are easily angered. You just try and do this. When you're driving around in the car next time and somebody does something selfish, rude, not paying attention to, to you, and they pull out in front of you, they do something that they shouldn't do on the road, and you start to, why in the world did you do How grateful are you at that point? Did gratefulness just leave? Kind of does, doesn't it? Then we get a handle on things. We got a hold of ourselves. And we, no, hold on a minute. Hold on. <laughs> Let's back off on that. And then you get yourself where you need to be. Now, don't notice this. In verse 
3, Then the king's servants who were within the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? Now it happened when they spoke to him daily, he would not listen to them. Then they told it to Haman. Who are they? They show up a few times, but we're never told who they are. But they're the ones that cause the trouble. Do you ever, ever hear anybody say, well, they won't let us do that? Same people. <laughs> right there, same people. They seem to be the trouble behind Haman and what he wants to do. Verse 6, but he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they, there they are again, for they had told him of the people of Mordecai. Instead, Haman sought to destroy all of the, all the Jews who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus the people of Mordecai. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of the king Ahasuerus, they cast per, that is, the lot, before Haman to determine the day and the month until it fell in the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. Now, who cast the lot? Was it Haman? Did you see that? They. We got they again. They cast the lot so they decided, let's use this opportunity of Mordecai not bowing to go after all the people. Ever heard of anything like that before? Who was it who said, never let a crisis go to waste? We have an opportunity. Let's turn it into something that we can, we can destroy some things. We got some people out there we want to get rid of. Let's use this for it. So, they cast lots. Now, this is in the first month they cast a lot. The lot came to the twelfth month. That means they're waiting almost an entire year for this to happen. I don't know. I think if, if, it, was, if it was me, you wanted to pull this thing off, you need to pull it off a whole lot faster than that. But they cast a lot. God must be behind it. Here's the, here's the time that came up. Now, here's something else about ungrateful people. Ungrateful people are influenced by the crowd. They look to have people to support them for making a stand. Ungrateful people notoriously don't make a stand on their own. Principled people do. Principled people are grateful people. Ungrateful people, they're not principled. I go by whatever I want to. I'm selfish. I'm rude. I'm obnoxious. I'm arrogant because I'm ungrateful. I don't, I'm not ruled by principles. I do what I decide I want to do. Same way those people that are driving around those cars out there. I pull out when I want to. But don't you pull out in front of me. This, they're not, they're not, uh, there's no principles there. Ungrateful people are influenced by the crowd and look to have people support them before they make a stand. They want to make sure they have at least some people behind them. It doesn't have to be the majority. It just has to be a loud group that will offer support. Boy, do we see that today? Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of the king. I want you to watch closely what he does. Because what you're going to see is what happens today, what happened 100 years ago, what happened 500 years ago, it's still the same thing. There's nothing new here. 
There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from all other peoples, and they do not keep the king's laws. Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. Now, this is the word for word what he said. He doesn't say, let's go out there and kill them all. He says, we shouldn't let them remain in the kingdom. Kind of ambiguous, but he knows exactly what he means. He means we're going to kill them all. There's a certain people. He doesn't say what? He doesn't say who, but it's a certain group of people. They're scattered, they're dispersed all around in the, in the kingdom. Their laws are different from all other peoples, and they do not keep the king's laws. Now look at the things that they're being accused of. They're different. They don't keep the king's laws. They're just a random, there's just a group of people that's out there, but they're all dispersed and they don't keep the king's laws. Now, I want you to notice some things that are missing. First off, who are the people? We already said that. What are the laws they disobey? What are the laws that they obey that are against the king's laws? Where are some specifics? Do you notice that there is not a single specific given as to what they do, what harm they've caused into the land? What problem that they, that they have brought in? Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. Why? How is the kingdom going to change if we let them remain or if we take them out? So if it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they be destroyed and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work to bring it into the king's treasuries. Now, he's not promising money from his own account. What he is saying is, we're going to go out there, we're going to get these people, we're going to take all their stuff, and out of all their stuff, we're going to give you this much into the king's treasuries. King, we're going to make you even richer than you are. He's plenty rich, but we're going to make you even richer. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the uh, enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, the money... And the people are given to you to do with them as seems good to you. Do whatever you want. Take care of these people. Get them out of the kingdom. Get them out. Wipe them out. You're telling me that we need them. You're my second in charge. You're my most trusted person. You're telling me we need to get rid of them. Then just go make it so. So they pitched the plot to destroy the Jews. Now, there are people that are different. They're different from us. They're different from everybody else. They're just kind of unique and by themselves. What is that difference? Well, it's not really important what the difference is. It's just, just they're different. We have accusations without evidence. We don't even have an instance. Not even anything cited. There's danger without demonstrating why they're dangerous. They have come to a conclusion. These people aren't fitting. And now we're going to pay a bribe as well. We're going to promise you money from the project. We're going to make sure that you get some stuff. Now this is what you're going to see. In this group, you're going to see this with ungrateful people. And now this, this one's going to cause you to, hmm, I'm not sure about that. But you think about this for a little while and you're going to see that it's true. Ungrateful people care very little about the truth. Grateful people are principled people. And they care about the truth. You as a principled person care about truth even if it disagrees with you 
because, well, if that's the truth, I need to get in line with it. That's your viewpoint, because you're a principled person. And that those principles guide you into a place of being grateful. But there are unprincipled people characterized by this ungrateful attitude, and they don't care about truth. They just care about presenting their argument and getting people to buy into their thing. I heard some, uh, some of the testimony, and I could, basically any week we got into this, I could have taken something that happened this week and showed it to you. This is just what happened, what I heard about it happening anyway this week, and so I'm bringing this one. You all know the January 6th committee, and I'm not here to try and put you on one side or the other, or tell you this happened or didn't happen. All I'm telling you is the people that run it do not care about the truth. I'm not telling you that they have uncovered truth or fault. I'm just telling you they don't care about the truth simply because of this. They brought in a, a, uh, a person to testify. Um, I wrote her name down. Hutchinson, yeah, Cassidy Hutchinson, who did not see anything, was not there, wasn't present, but heard from someone else what happened and presented a testimony as to what happened in the limo while all this stuff is going on. I, it, what happened is not important. I, I'm not going to get into that. But anyway, she wasn't there and presented all this to the committee. And when a word of it got out, there were two uh, uh, Secret Service people, two of them, who said, we were in the limo and we will testify that that didn't happen. And they won't call them. I haven't called them so far. It is so bad in the January 6th committee hearing that a reporter... In a, I think it was the, the, the conference, the news conference that I do, hit the, the person, are you going to bring anyone in that presents a view different from yours? Well, you, and it mentioned some, they actually mentioned Vice President Pence. I mean, he's not the one that I would want to bring in, but that's, that's one of the ones they threw out. How about Pence? And they said, well, you know, we haven't rolled any of that out yet, which basically means, no, we haven't brought in anyone that doesn't agree with our or uh, viewpoint on this thing. They're not, they don't care about the truth. If you don't care about the truth, you're not going to come to the truth. You're not going to uncover it. Because you've got to be willing to talk to people that challenge you. You've got to be willing to talk to people that are on, well, I don't know if they'll quite happen. I've got to hear. Let's, let's hear the testimony. Let's hear what happened. That's just two instances on the, that thing. That's, I've known that thing's a joke for the longest time. But uh, just, the, just the way they're going about it, just the way they're handling it, it you can just tell. These are run by ungrateful people who believe whatever I say goes and I can throw out whatever I want to and people will just fall in line with it. This is where Haman is. He's an ungrateful person. I'm going to throw this thing out. I don't know that they've caused any harm to the kingdom and really until Mordecai wouldn't bow before me, I didn't care too much about this. But because Mordecai wouldn't bow before me, now we care, now it's an issue. And now we're going to take care of it. Verse, um, verse 11 again. He gave him all the money. He gave him everything that he needed. Now, seldom are people that are ungrateful interested in speaking the truth of, but change or summarize events to their own benefit. We've seen this how many times in our day. It's not just our day. Don't think this is anything new. How many times did they summarize the events of Jesus' life? How many times did they summarize the things that the apostles did? Try and get people to come against them. There's nothing new. This is what they do. 
trying to get false witnesses to speak against Jesus. They will speak lies that harm others to achieve their purpose. This is what they will do. They will speak lies that harm others just to achieve their purpose. When you see it in people, you know this, this is not helping people. Then the king's scribes were called on the 13th day of the first month, and a decree was written according to all that Haman commanded. All that who? Haman. So the king is out of this one now. We're just doing what he wants. To the king's satraps, to the governors who were over each province, to the officials of all people, to every province according to the script, and to every people in their language. In the name of King Ahasuerus, it was written and sealed with the king's signet ring. So its king's name was on it, but Haman is the one writing and the letters were sent by couriers into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate, annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their possessions. So, you're in town. All of a sudden, here comes this courier coming on in. They take the uh, courier deed over to the governor, whoever's over the province. They read it, and then they come out. Hey, we got an announcement to make. Everybody gathers around for the announcement. All right, here's the announcement. We have this coming directly from the king. And the king has said that anyone who is of Jewish descent is fair game for you to kill, to destroy, and to take all their stuff. This is the day. We're going to plan for this one. We want to make sure. And that's, that's the day. If you're going to have the 12th month, this is the first month it started. Let's say it takes to the third month till everything gets around. I don't know how long it was. All of a sudden, this, this thing comes in, and people that are your enemy, because the Jews had enemies, people that are your enemy saying, I've been wanting to take you out for a long time, and now it's going to be legal. I'm going to come in, and I'm going to slaughter you and your family. I'm going to kill all of you. I'm going to take all your stuff. And every day they come in, they taunt you. And they, they harass you on this. And they threaten you. And this is what's going on around the kingdom. So a copy of this document was to be issued as law in every province, being published for all people, that they should be ready for that day. And the couriers went out, hastened by the king's command, and the decree was proclaimed in Sushan the citadel. So the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Sushan was perplexed. So they all sit on down, they have a good time, we got a drink here going on. And the city of Sushan is saying, what? Now, if there's some smart people in the city, they may be thinking, well, you know, we've got a lot of different races of people that are here in the city. If they can make a decree about the Jewish people, could they make a decree about me and my people? And might we be the next ones? I'm sure that some of them are perplexed for that. Well, you know, this is all well and good. I'm not a, I'm not a Jewish person. But if I, I, what if I'm mistaken for a Jewish person? What if somebody accuses me of being a Jewish person just because they want my stuff? When Mordecai, well, verse 4, we're going to skip over chapter 4. Uh, chapter 4, you can read this when you're at home, but we've got a lot of stuff to read through. Um, uh, Haman's not really involved in this too much. But basically, Mordecai, he's all upset. He gets in sackcloth. He can't go so far into the, king, into the king's palace, can't up to the gate, and that's about it. And so he comes up to the gate, and um, he had told Esther, don't let anybody know we're related. Don't let anybody know that you're Jewish. 
And so he's hanging around her the whole time. I mean, if, if you're not wanting her to reveal the relationship here, why are you hanging around? And so she sends a message. She sees him out there in the sackcloth. She sends a message to him. Then he sends a message to her. And then she sends a message back. And then he sends a message back. And how do you expect all this stuff to go on? I mean, how smart is Haman? If Haman wants to get at Mordecai, doesn't he have a spy on him? I want you to see everybody who, who's uh, close to him. Find out. It just seems to be one of the things you would do. But he doesn't do it. So that's chapter 4. Let's skip on, skip on down here to chapter 5. Now it happened on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes because she was going to be three days. They, what Mordecai asked her to do, I want you to go before the king. I want you to present yourself. She said, I haven't been there for a month. It's been 30 days since he last summoned me. And uh, if I go before him and he hasn't summoned me, he's got to put out that golden scepter. I've got to touch it and then everything's okay. But if he doesn't put out the golden scepter, I'm dead. And so Mordecai threatens her. He said, look, you may be important such a time as this. Don't take spiritual advice from Mordecai. <laughs> Don't do it. Mordecai is not a very spiritual guy. He's not a guy that you want to emulate in any way, shape, or form. People make him out to be a hero in this book. He is not a hero. He may have gotten into heaven. But it, in my book, he is not a hero. So he threatens, the, he threatens Esther. You know, God's going to come and get you. Don't think you're going to be spared being there in that palace when that decree goes out they're going to come in there and kill you uh, I don't think so <laughs> you're not coming into the palace and killing the queen uh, the king's not going to allow that to happen but anyway happened on the third day Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace across from the king's house while the king sat on his royal throne in the royal house facing the entrance of the house a lot of royal stuff going on there. <laughs> so it was when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court that she found favor in his sight. And the king held out to the Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. And Esther went near and touched the top of the scepter. What happens if he forgets the golden scepter that day? <laughs> yeah, I think about some of those things. What happens if he, oh, I left the golden scepter at home. Oh, man, there goes another queen. <laughs> I don't know what would have happened. But anyway, he, uh, he had the golden scepter. But she didn't come in there and just, uh, she wasn't rough with this. She wasn't assuming. She just came in, in the door where she could be seen, probably stood in the back and just stood there waiting to be recognized. Very humble, uh, ready to accept whatever fate. If you see fit that I should die, that's fine. And just waited. And the king looked at her and said, oh, yeah, Queen Esther. I almost forgot about her. Because if you go through the story, they brought in the first group of uh, young women from the kingdom. And she came out of the first group. And during this whole episode, he's got the second group in there. We've already picked the queen. Why do we need a second group? So she got forgotten. She's back out there. But he says, oh, no, Queen Esther, I forgot. I, I do like you. Verse 3, and the king said to her, what do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you up to half the kingdom. So he's ready to do all kinds of stuff for her, and she just walked in the room. So Esther answered, If it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to the banquet that I have prepared for him. The king said, Bring Haman quickly, that he, that he may do as Esther has said. So the king and Haman went to the banquet that Esther had prepared. 
at the banquet of wine. The king said to Esther, What is your petition? It shall be granted you. What is your request? Up to half the kingdom, it shall be done. Then Esther said, answered and said, My petition request is this, if I have found favor in the sight of the king, if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, then let the king and Haman come to the banquet which I have prepared for them. Tomorrow I will do as the king has said. So Haman went out that day joyful with a glad heart. But when, he, when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, and they did not stand or tremble before him. He was filled with indignation against Mordecai. So, Queen Esther comes in, touches the golden staff. What's your request? I'll give you up to half the kingdom. Well, I just want you to come into a little luncheon up your beer. You and Haman. All right. So, he kind of knows this is not the request. Comes on into the luncheon. Now, are you going to tell me what you want? Uh, I'll tell you what. Come to a banquet. I'm going to prepare for you tomorrow. When you come to the banquet, then I'll tell you everything. I mean, don't you get to the point you just say, just tell me what you want. <laughs> but that's not how it goes. So Haman comes out of there. He's all happy. He's joyful. Oh, man, this is great. I got invited to a banquet with the queen, just the queen, the king, and me. That's it. He's riding high. This is great. This is great. Then he sees Mordecai. And all the joy goes. It's all gone. And now he's mad again. He's filled with indignation against Mordecai. He's happy. He's filled with pride at the invitation, but it all goes away. just leaks right out. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, and he sent and called for his friends and his wife, Zeresh. Now check this out. Then Haman told them of his great riches the multitude of his children, everything in which the king had promoted him and how he had advanced him above the officials, the servants of the kings. Moreover, Haman said, Besides, Queen Esther invited no one but me to come to the king to the king, and the king to, with the banquet. She prepared, and tomorrow I will again and invited by her along with the king. Yet all this avails me nothing so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at this, this gate. Now, you may never have had somebody like this in your life. But can you imagine? Here he comes. He's calling all his friends. Come on over. Wife, I want you to come. Everybody's close to him. And he, when they all get here, he says, I want you all to know how rich I am. I want you to know how much money I've got. How much stuff. How many boats. How many cars. How many chariots. I want you to know all this stuff that I've got. Beside that, you want to know how many kids I have? How many kids you got? Yeah, I've got three times that many kids. And they're all really, they're at the top of their class. My kids are better than all of your kids put together. And he's just going on bragging about all his stuff. Beside that, I have been promoted to the highest office in the land. No one else was promoted to this but me. I was the one. And then I was invited to a luncheon with the queen and the king. And tomorrow I'm going back. Now, how do you like sitting in a, in a place and this person just goes on and on and on and on and on about all the things that they did? Oh, my. This, is, this gets to be... Now, sometimes you want to say something about it, don't you? My wife doesn't let me forget it, but we were at a, a minister's home. They invited us to come on over, and we had gone over for, for dinner. And uh, she knew her real well. I'd never met him, 
Um, but he had uh, he'd come out of Ramoth. I had come out of Ramoth, so you know there should be some kind of camaraderie that was there. So um, we went on over there for dinner, and all through dinner, well, the Lord has used me for this, and the Lord has done this, and the Lord has done this, and I have done this, and I ha- and the whole time we're just hearing, I have done, I have done, I couldn't, I've never heard anybody talk that much about themselves. And we got up from the dinner table, and we were sitting out there in the in the living room, and we're talking about it some more, and more, and so eventually I just I turned my back to him. And I looked at his wife and said, So, what has God been doing with you? <laughs> My wife tells me she wished that a hole fell opened up and she just <laughs> gone right on through. Because it was very obvious. I did not make it subtle at all. It was very obvious. Shut up. <laughs> and so that kind of killed the evening. <laughs> kind of killed the evening a little bit. And so she talked about a few things that she did, and then we were getting ready to get up and go, and before we had to go, he had to have a prophecy for me. Oh, yeah, he had to have a little prophecy for me. And, uh, <laughs> and we went on. I never saw him again. He died uh, a, few, a year or so later. I don't say that had anything to do with it. I'm just telling you, he died. We, didn't, we, didn't, we don't have an opportunity to go back. and, and I, I had never been with someone who bragged about themselves to that degree ever. But every time I think of Haman, I think of him. I think about this story. Let me tell you about myself. Let me tell you about all the things that I did. Yet all this avails me nothing so long as I see Mordecai, the Jew, sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, let a, let a gallows be made 50 cubits high, and in the morning suggested the king that Mordecai be hanged on it. Then go merrily with the king to the banquet, and the king pleased Haman so that he had the gallows made. They, they had to make them pretty quick, because the banquet's the next day. Chapter 6. That night the king could not sleep, so one was commanded to bring the book of the records of the chronicles, and they were read before the king. Now this king is a heathen king. He does not serve God. But God kept him up, apparently. And he says, I need to get to sleep. Bring me something boring. I mean, when that, that's what you would ask for, right? Bring me something boring to read that I may fall asleep. And so they're reading this, this stuff, you know, just annals of the king. But all of a sudden, this story caught him. What? There was a, per, there was a guy, and he, he uncovered a plot against me? Really? And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Big Thana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, and the doorkeepers who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. Then the king said, What honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's servant who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. So the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace and suggested the king hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. <laughs> the king's servant said to him, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in and the king asked him, What shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, Whom would the king delight to honor more than me? <laughs> so we've got a delayed honor for Mordecai. If you were Mordecai and you had uncovered this plot 
and nothing was done. No letter of recognition, no medal, nothing. How many of you get a little offended at that? That's big old king out there, I saved his, saved his life. He may have been disappointed. But we're going to keep this in the back pocket. We're going to bring this out. And the king, when he read this, he said, I, that can't be. I can't be king and not have honored someone. No. Now again, we see Haman. Who would the king want to honor more than me? The more ungrateful a person is, the more everything is about them. The world is about me. The more ungrateful you are, the more the world is about you. And Haman answered the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let a royal robe be brought which the, the king has worn, and a horse on which the king has ridden, which has a royal crest placed on its head. Then let this robe and horse be delivered to the hand of the one of the king's most noble princes, that he may array the man with the king's delight to honor. Then parade him on horseback through the city square, and proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robe and the horse, as you have suggested, and do so for Mordecai the Jew, who sits within the king's gate. Leave nothing undone of all that you have spoken. Oh, man, you came, you showed up to work early to accomplish something you wanted to do. You wanted to kill Mordecai, and now you get to honor him. Greatly. So Haman took the robe and the horse, arrayed Mordecai, and led him on horseback through the city square and proclaimed before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Now think about what's going on at home right now. There's his wife. There's the people that counseled him to build the gallows and go into the king and ask for the head of Mordecai. What's all the commotion? Is Haman bringing Mordecai to the gallows? Well, he's bringing Mordecai. But he's on one of the king's horses. He's wearing one of the king's robes. And they don't look like they're getting ready to hang him. So he has to do this in honor to Mordecai. Afterwards, Mordecai went back to the king's gate. Life went on. But Haman hurried to his house, mourning with his head covered. When Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened to him, his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish descent, you will not prevail against him, but will surely fall before him. And while they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs came and hastened to bring Haman to the banquet which Esther had prepared. Mm-mm. Yeah, I didn't see this coming. Verse 1. So the king, chapter 7. So the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther, and on the second day at the banquet of wine, the king again said to Esther, What is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you, and what is your request? Up to half the kingdom it shall be done. Then Queen, An queen Esther answered and said, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me at my petition, and my people at my request. For we have been sold, my people and I, to be destroyed, to be killed, to be annihilated. Had we been sold as male and female slaves, I would have held my tongue, although the enemy would 
could never compensate for the king's loss. So the king, so King Ahasuerus answered and said to Queen Esther, Who is he? And where is he? Who would dare presume in his heart to do such a thing? At this point, it does not appear that Haman has any idea what's going on. <laughs> and Esther said, The adversary, the enemy, is this wicked Haman. So Haman was terrified before the king and queen. Me? What do you mean me? What am I doing against you? Then the king arose in his wrath from the banquet of wine and went into the palace garden. But Haman stood before Queen Esther pleading for his life for he saw that evil was determined against him by the king. The king is so mad that he has to leave the room or he will do something unkingly. He leaves the room. He goes out for a little while. Now, I don't know that this was the smartest thing. The king doesn't seem to be always the smartest person. If you've got a guy, the queen just accused him of wanting to wipe out her and the people. You're going to leave the room with him in there? <laughs> that doesn't seem smart to me. It seems like you should take him out with you. Or maybe Queen Esther. She should go out. I don't know why he did this. I, we'll have to wait to get to heaven and watch the videotape. Figure out what happened with that. So Haman, who had set things up for other people to be pleading for their life, is now pleading for his. Ungrateful people are so focused on themselves that they fail to see what's coming. This is the problem the devil has. He tries to accomplish purposes with these un ungrateful people. The more they, they side with him, the more they pursue the things of the, of the evil kingdom, the more ungrateful they become and the more short-sighted they become because they can't see anything but what they want. Now think of some other people. Moses failed to see Israel's reaction to him killing an Egyptian. He was so, so ungrateful for all the things that God had done. A little bit of gratitude there, but not, not much. And so ungrateful that uh, he failed to see even Israel's reaction to him kill, killing an Egyptian. Didn't see that one coming. Israel failed to see God's reaction to their complaining. They got so caught up into this ungrateful attitude that when they wanted to complain about manna, complain about not having water, complain about not having all the things that they had back in Egypt, Korah failed to see God's reaction to them taking an office that wasn't given to them. They didn't see that God would react uh, badly to that. King Saul failed to see God's reaction to him not doing what God commanded. Well, look at how obedient I've been. And what's this bleeding of sheep that I hear? The Pharisees failed to see they were against Messiah and unfaithful with God's vineyard. Saul later known as Paul, failed to see he was fighting God. And there's a lot more stories, a lot more places you can go. The, when you become ungrateful, you fail to see things that are on the horizon. And they'll hit you blindside. Paul, then called Saul, is on his way to Damascus. And God had certainly dealt with him, but he never saw this happen until the blinding light came. Pharisees had no idea what they were up against. They couldn't see it. Verse 8, When the king returned from the palace garden to the place of the banquet of wine, 
Haman had fallen across the couch where, where Esther was. And the king said, Will he also assault the queen while I am in the house? As the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face because he's a dead man. They just covered his face. Now, Harbona, one of the eunuchs, said to the king, Look, the gallows, fifty cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on the king's behalf, is standing at the house of Haman. Then the king said, Hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's wrath subsided. There are many times that people, they continue after this, this spirit of ungratefulness. They can't see the things that are going on. They get blinded to a lot. They have created gallows, and they have been hung on it themselves. When you look at a lot of evil people in our country and places around the world that are ungrateful, unthankful, and evil is all through them, and they make edicts that destroy people's lives, destroy families, they are making a gallows that eventually they will be hung on. All right, I want to summarize this here for you. It's important that you see this, this aspect. This just all comes from this one story. There's other aspects to this too, but we're just pulling out the ones that are here. Signs of ungrate, um, ungrateful people. You want to see how, what the signs are of ungratefulness? These are the signs. First off, insufficient. You can just write in as much of this as you want to. Insufficient. What I have is not enough. People that have an ungrateful attitude, they look at what they have and it never seems to be enough. My car is not big enough. My house is not big enough. Now, I'm not saying you can't move into a bigger house or have a bigger car. I'm not saying anything like that at all. But all the while you're doing it, thank you, God, for the house that I have. Thank you, God, for the car that I've got. I thank you for this that I have over here. And you're, you're still thankful for that. But, Father, I thank you that even bigger blessings are on the... On the that's different then what is this awful car that I have? No, I despise this car. God, if you don't give me that car over there, ungratefulness. That's, that's a part of it. Insufficient. Whatever I've got, it's not enough. Constant dissatisfaction. My unhappiness is due to what the others have or have not done for me but should have or shouldn't have. The only reason that I'm discontent, the only reason I'm unhappy is because these people have not done this. My boss has not done this. My co-workers have not done this. My children have not done this. My spouse has not done this. My friends have not done this. Whatever it is, we've always got a list of people. If they only would do this, I would be happy. Haman. All these people are in line with him except Mordecai. If everything else could go away, if only Mordecai would bow before me. Everything else is insufficient. This is what it will lead to. Insufficient, constant dissatisfaction. No matter what you get, you're happy with it for uh, fleeting moments. And then all of a sudden, oh, no good. Influenced. A crowd or powerful group is needed to empower their stand. These people will not make a stand on their own without people behind them. The Pharisees would never make a stand against Jesus because they were afraid of the people. They needed to know we would have the people behind us. I need to know I have a group of Pharisees with me before I can hit them with this question. If I don't have that behind me, then uh, 
It's not going to work. Jesus didn't care about that. Jesus confronted him. He didn't care who was there with him. But ungrateful people, they're influenced by others. Look at, look at people. They believe this today and then a whole mess of people influence them. Oh no, I believe this instead now. I don't make a stand. Number four, truth is convenient, not constant. Seldom are interested in speaking the truth, but change or summarize events to their own benefit. People that are ungrateful. Truth is convenient. It's not constant. Whatever I need the truth to be today, that's what it will be. If tomorrow I need a different truth, then tomorrow the truth will be this. Truth is not constant. It changes as they need it to change because of that selfishness that's in them. Number five, temperamental. They swing from joy to anger over a single matter. Just like Haman. He's all happy, got promoted. One thing happens, he's mad. Number six, they control conscience. They know when behavior is not accepted and will hide it when necessary, which means they have a conscience but don't listen to it or seared it. Word of God talks about having seared their conscience. They have a conscience. They know I shouldn't do this, so in front of these people, I won't do it. I'll hold back. Haman would hold back. Well, I can't do this here. I have to wait till I get home. I know this isn't right behavior. So I'm not going to display it here. I'm going to wait till I get home. I got more people in that group. I can let this thing fly. I can let this thing go. They control their conscience. And number seven, they are self-centered. Everything comes back to being about them. From conversations to laws and what's important. They get into a conversation, it's all about them. Someone wants... Who can we honor? Oh, who else does he want to honor but me? This is what you have. When you have ungrateful people, these are attitudes that are festering in them. Don't trust them with certain things. You've got to be careful about what you put in their hand. Because if you get burned by it, God's going to say, I, I showed you in the Word how this, you, you need to be careful about this. Jesus taught in parables because he knew not to trust them with the treasure of understanding the scripture. I'm going to speak this stuff to them, but they're not going to understand it. For you, it's granted to understand it, but not to them. Signs of, of the grateful. I didn't give you as much space for this, but it's basically the opposite of all that other. First of all, my God is sufficient. People that are grateful, whatever they have, they are thrilled to have it. They are so glad that God blessed them with it. I know God's going to bless me with more but I am so happy with what he has blessed me with. And they get such satisfaction out of it because they're grateful. They're grateful for what they have. Number two, they're content. I still have it on my, my docket, so to speak, to get into this word, and we'll probably get into it here before we finish this. But I'm content. I am glad for the things that I have. Not, not constant dissatisfaction, not looking at what other people haven't done or should have done or whatever it might be. Nope, I'm content. If, you, if somebody didn't do something you wanted, that's all right. I probably didn't need it anyway. <laughs> and you just go on. You're just content. No matter what the devil throws at you to try and get you discontent, nope. 
not going to be that way. I'm just going to be glad. God, I'm, God, I'm so glad for the people that you've blessed me with, friends that I have, and the job that I've got, and the boss that I have. And the devil comes up and says, yeah, but look at this and this. That's a terrible boss you have. No, 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 glory to God. I got a good boss. I got the boss. That, and God has them there, and they're helping me to grow in some things. And as long as I am here, I am going to be growing, in these, and you, just, you won't become discontent. Number three, they are influencers. They stand for principles regardless of who stands with them. Take a look at the people in the Word of God. Daniel stood for a principle regardless of who stood with him. His three buddies, they stood for a principle regardless of who stood with them. David stood for principles regardless of who stood with him. Jonathan, the disciples, how many people in the Word of God can you go through? They stood for principles regardless of who. The disciples are brought and beaten before the council. Who should we obey, you or God? I think we'll, we'll go with God. For people that are grateful, truth is constant. They stay open to instruction from the truth giver. I realize I don't have all the truth. But truth is constant. It is always the truth. And I need to learn more of it. And I may not know all the truth that I need to know. So I'm, I'm listening. I'm letting the Spirit of God speak to me. I want to hear some stuff. I don't need to shape truth to fit what I need people to see. I say, God, tell me. Show me what I need. I'm missing something on this. Show me something. I know I'm missing something. Give me the wisdom on this. Number five, they are joyful. Their happiness may sway, but joy endures. You don't find them going through those extremes. Number six, they are spirit-controlled. They are spirit-controlled. They don't control their conscience. They let God speak to them into their spirit. And if God says, don't do this, Yes, sir. person who is ungrateful, that voice comes up, don't do this. All right, well, I won't do it here, but I'm going to do it over there. I'm going to do what I want to do. Number seven, they are kingdom-centered. They are not self-centered. They are kingdom-centered. What does God's kingdom need? Doesn't matter what I need. What does God's kingdom need? What does God need me to do for his kingdom? Most all the evil that we see in Haman's life began with his ungratefulness. And it's the same thing with people today. Ungrateful people hurt themselves and ultimately the people that are around them. Now you certainly want to try and help people that are in this condition. Do all that you can to try and help them. But just understand, if they don't let go of that ungrateful attitude... There isn't too much help you can do. And it's not your fault. Again, the scripture in 2 Timothy. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. And the list goes on. 
Always make sure you stay grateful for what you have. The enemy knows if I can get you to steer off into an area of ungratefulness, other things will come about. Because in that soil of your mind being ungrateful, all kinds of evil can fester and grow. And you'll begin to do some things that you would never have thought you would have done. It starts with becoming ungrateful. Now, you may be grateful today, but you've got to maintain it. You've got to keep that thing going. The enemy is always coming after this because people that are ungrateful are immature. Haman may have a high position, but he is not mature. He's self-centered. He's selfish. He just wants what's good for him, and he will kill people to get what he wants. That's how far you can go. Stay grateful. Wake up in the morning, put all those verses of Scripture out there about being grateful. Because if you can maintain that gratefulness and stay in there, you will grow and mature just as sure as the people that are ungrateful will digress and become more and more selfish, more and more sinful, and more and more evil. There are people out there. we got some ungrateful people in a lot of positions of power. They're selfish. They use their office to gain what they have, what they want. You have bosses who use their positions of power to gain what they want. We have people that are in positions of authority who use their positions of power to gain what they want. They're ungrateful. They're ungodly. And the more they, they walk in it, the more of a hindrance they become. Be aware of them. These are some of, the, some of the signs that you can find them. If you see some of these things going on, take a step back. They may be an, ungrateful, an ungrateful person. How much can I trust How much can I put in their hands? This king put a whole lot into Haman's hands. And he was willing to spend all kinds of money to finance Haman's ideas. And Haman was not out for the good of the kingdom. He was out for the good of Haman. And he would have destroyed or hurt the king's kingdom. We don't fear people that are ungrateful. We're aware of them. We try to help them. But understand, if you have people in your life and they show these signs of being ungrateful, don't put too much into their hands. Just know the direction they can go. Fortunately, the disciples got out of it. And they went in a way that was good. Jesus spent some time with them. So did Paul. He became, he went from a place of being ungrateful to a place of being grateful. You can make the change. People around you can make the change. But understand that the change has to be made. Would you all stand up with me? Today is our communion Sunday. We ask our ushers to hand out our communion elements that are there. We do this, the Word of God tells us that as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of Him.
we are to do this in remembrance, always being grateful. Always being grateful for what God did by sending Jesus Christ, His Son. Sometimes we get so used to it. Well, I know that He sacrificed. I know that He died. But that's old news. No. We need to make sure that we stay with this new. Look at what Jesus did for us. Don't lose sight of that. It's important that we stay grateful. Father, I'm grateful that Jesus came to this life, lived victory over sin, overcame, gave us an example, wonderful example to follow. I thank you that this has been done. Always stay grateful. I thank you for the, the body of Jesus. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you for what was poured out that I might have new life. Our new life starts in our Lord Jesus. Thank you, sir. So much more has been done for us in the time that we've been down here on this earth. This was done before we ever got here. Though we didn't see it, we only read about it, we only hear about it, but it's the most important thing that could have been done. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. He said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. On his body was put our sickness.